Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Well, we are continuing through our sermon series of Reframing Jesus. And what we're trying to accomplish in this series is to to be careful uh, that we are not creating a version of Jesus that just kind of looks like how we prefer him to be, but that we are instead reframing our image of Jesus, our understanding of Jesus around what the scriptures show he is. And so that's our goal. And as we've been moving through John chapter seven and John chapter eight, uh, the events that we're reading about are taking place during a particular feast or festival. And in your Bibles, it'll say the festival of tabernacles. Uh, In the Jewish community, it would have been called Sukkot uh, or the Feast of Booths. And at this feast, there is a week-long pilgrimage to Jerusalem and everybody camps out for a week. You basically stay outside in these little tents, basically, that you construct for you and your family. And all throughout this feast, there are these different events. We talked two weeks ago about one of those, which was the water ceremony, where the priest would go and would draw uh, water and would bring it into the temple and would pour the water. And it was on that occasion that Jesus declared himself to be the water of life. Well, this week we're going to consider another element of the Feast of Tabernacles, which was the lighting ceremony. So in the evening, there would be these four giant columns or pillars, and at the top of those would be four golden bowls. And in those golden bowls, they would pour just massive amounts of oil, gallons and gallons of oil. And then they would take the priest's used undergarments. Yes, that's what I said. The priest's dirty underwear, they would twist those into a giant wick. And so you can imagine, if you have boys like I do, that would be highly flammable. And they would put that into these bowls of oil and they would light them on fire. And these giant bowls of oil would just erupt into flame. And according to the rabbis, all of Jerusalem would be illuminated by the incredible light that would come out of these bowls. And it was on this occasion in the court of women, and this was where these columns would have been, the court of women where everybody could come and have access. It was in that court where Jesus is teaching and with this backdrop that he declares that he is the light of the world. Now, as we think about this, what Jesus means that he is the light of the world, he says very specifically to kind of help us understand what particularly this imagery of the light of the world is coming from. He says, anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, when he talks about following him, he is actually referencing what this festival of lights came from. So in the wilderness... When the Hebrew people were wandering, what was it that led their way? There was a pillar of fire that led their way. And that's what this festival and the ceremony of lights 
uh, pointed back to of God providing this light and leading his people through this pillar of fire in the wilderness. Now Jesus is saying that he has come as the ultimate fulfillment of this pillar of fire and he invites people to do what to him? To follow him. He has come to light the way. And this is what he says. I've come into this world. I'm sorry. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus has come to light the way to the path of life. And the invitation is to follow him, to allow him to lead us in the path that leads to life. Now, the Pharisees immediately object to this. We see that as soon as he makes this claim about himself, uh, the Pharisees oppose it. Why? Well, I believe that based on all that we've read in John and what we continue to read in John, uh, because the Pharisees don't believe they need more light. They have the scriptures, they have the temple, they have these ceremonies, they have their particular role in all of this and their uh, position, which is to interpret the scriptures and to proclaim the scriptures. And so therefore, there is all the light that is necessary within this system. And yet, what we see is that the Pharisees, the very people who don't think that they need the light are those who are going to be blinded to God's revelation. Jesus says in John 9, 39, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who, who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. You see, those who are enlightened by Jesus are those who see their need for him. And yet those who do not see their need for him, like these Pharisees, are those who ultimately are blinded by their pride. They don't think they need the light of life. And so therefore, according to the words of Jesus, they continue to walk in darkness. Now, how do we avoid this, this kind of blinding pride that prevents us from receiving the light that Jesus gives us? Well, in order to have the light of light, we must first admit ignorance. Now, the Pharisees continue to make a case against Jesus being the Messiah. And one of their major arguments is where he is from. And we've seen this, that they think that Jesus is from where? Galilee. They ultimately think he's from the sticks in Nazareth. Now, I was at the fair this week, and so I've seen people from the sticks, right? We know that phrase, the sticks. And that's where they think Jesus is from. They think he is from uh, out there in Nowheresville, uh, that he is a Galilean. And yet, in truth, Jesus says, you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. Is Jesus actually from where they think he is from? And the truth is he's not, right? They, they think they know, and yet they truly don't. And this is where Jesus says that you judge by human standards. They look at Jesus, and we're going to see the people around Jesus from a very superficial standpoint. They look at him according to what Jesus says is the flesh, they have this fleshly, human, superficial judgment. And this, this viewpoint actually 
uh, causes them to be ignorant of the truth. And Jesus says, I judge no one. And, and just to clarify, he's saying that he doesn't judge anyone by these standards. Jesus doesn't look at anyone from the human perspective, from the superficial surface perspective that these Pharisees do. Instead, Jesus says, if I do judge, my judgment is true because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. He judges based on whose ultimate judgment? The Father's. He acknowledges in his humanity a limitation. And so the judgment ultimately that he depends on is what the Father says, how the Father judges. And so they ask him, where's your father? Right? Where's your daddy? And he says, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Now, John 1 has told us that no one has ever seen God. Yet Jesus has come to reveal him, to make the father known. And yet they reject Jesus. They reject this light that comes to reveal the Father. Jesus says in John 5, 39, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. They know the scriptures. They know the law. They know the writings of Moses. And they think that because of that knowledge that they know God. And yet, Jesus says, but you're not willing to come to, uh, you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. You see, they missed the ultimate revelation of God, the ultimate light that came to reveal the truth about who God is because of the fact that they were convinced they already knew it. They were convinced that their knowledge of the scriptures, the information that they had was sufficient. And I believe that this is a warning for us today, particularly Those of us who maybe grew up in church, we're very steeped in our understanding of the scriptures. There is a way in which our certainty that we know about God, that we know the information, that we know all the facts can actually blind us. You see, the Pharisees were speaking when they should have been listening. Have you ever done that? Marshall McLuhan notes that we do not have ear lids, and that should teach us something. <laughs> your body does not have, you can, you can close your eyes, and you can close your mouth, but unless you put earbuds in, you cannot close your ears, and there's a way in which that is instructive to us of the humility that we should have to be slow to speak and quick to listen And yet the pride, so often that we see in the Pharisees, gets in the way of listening. It gets in the way of hearing the truth that God has for us. And often, I know for me, I use words as a way to to control the situations and the people around me. I can use information that I have, information that I've learned, And I can try to be impressive or to say the right thing or to have the right answers. And that can be something that I actually find my identity in or my value in. So I feel like as the pastor of Fairview Church, when someone has a question for me or a situation in their life, 
that I need to give them the answers. Is that true? No. (laughs) Now, I want to know the scriptures and to know the truth, but there is a way that this knowledge and this dependence on our own understanding simply, instead of leading us to depend on God, it simply reinforces a self-dependent way of living. So if I can get the information, I can have the answers. I cannot have to actually depend on the spirit of God. And this is where we need to surrender our need to be right. We have to surrender our need to have all of the answers. We need to surrender our need to be impressive to others. Ultimately, we need to admit our inherent ignorance, even as humans. That's what Jesus is doing is, and we're going to see this, is see, he's saying all of humanity is limited in their understanding, right? Any human who judges simply based on their own perception, right, is judging with, with limited ability and limited knowledge. And we must acknowledge that, that we are incapable of fully judging rightly. And that leads us to a place of depending on God. Well, not only do we admit or acknowledge our ignorance in order to receive the light that Jesus came to bring, but secondly, we must admit our inability. Verse 21, then he said to them again, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So Jesus tells them, that they are ultimately going to die in their sin. He repeats this beginning in verse 23. He says, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So this is three times that Jesus repeats this phrase, die in your sins. Do you think it's important? Right, as a parent, when you repeat something, over and over, you're emphasizing it. And, and we are meant to see this, that Jesus is, is making this classification of, of really all of the world, that all people who are from below, now who is from below? Everybody, right? Who is from above? One person, and that is Jesus, he's the only person to come from heaven to earth. And he has come from heaven to earth to bring light into this dark world. He has come into this context where, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, that all are dead in their trespasses and sins, which we walked according to the way of this world. This is a complete classification of humanity of people who are separated from God, who are dead in trespasses and sins. And yet the problem that we see with the Pharisees is that they believe they have spiritual life. Why? Because of who they are and what they have done. You see, Jesus changes the classification. They talk about where people are from. You're from Galilee. You're from Bethlehem. You're from Jerusalem. And the insiders, right, the people of significance and value are the people from Jerusalem who are part of some of these elite families in the specific class. They're, they are, they are those who are of value. And then there are these other people who are from these other places. Jesus blows all of that up and he says, there's only two locations 
What are they? Below and above, (laughs) right? And so he blows all of this up. And the only way for anyone to get from below, this is all of humanity on the earth in this condition of spiritual death apart from God. The only way to get from this reality to heaven, to being with God and having eternal life with him is who? Is Jesus. He has come to make the way to move from below to above, from death to life. And it is only through trusting in him that anyone can make that move ultimately and have life. John Ortberg says the world is not divided into broken people and normal people. It's divided into people whose brokenness and is hidden and people whose brokenness is visible. Is that true? One of our values as a church is we welcome the broken. Are any of us not broken? We're not, all right? Not all of us are broken. There's not, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one who is righteous. And so all of us are fundamentally broken people. And there is, again, the classification of those who will admit their brokenness, who will admit our complete dependency on God, as, as we, the psalm that Briley read, that there is nothing good within me, and those who choose to ignore it, to pretend like we are not broken, that we don't have these needs. The term stigma is a term that you have all probably heard, and that is an example of a word that is held over from the ancient Greek language. Uh, it comes from uh, the Greek word stitzo, uh, which means to carve or to mark as a sign of shame, punishment, or disgrace. You see, there were people who were actually marked in different ways as those who were, who were stigmatized, those who were separate, who were disgraced. And we think in Jesus' day about some of the physical conditions that people would have, like leprosy that would cause them to be stigmatized or removed. And there were different ways in which there would actually be marks that were placed on people to identify them and to separate them. And and in this culture where the Pharisees were operating in Jerusalem, those who were stigmatized were removed. And there was actually an idea of holiness in being separate from those who bore these different stigmas in different ways. And this is one of the major issues that the Pharisees had with Jesus. Now, he said that he is the only one who judges rightly because he doesn't judge by human fleshly judgments and perception, but by the judgment of God. And yet they would have said the opposite. They would have said that Jesus lacked good judgment. Why? Because he allowed these stigmatized people to be part of his following. He allowed the people that these Pharisees would have seen holy people, certainly the Messiah, as remaining separate from. And yet Jesus, in his bad judgment, according to them, welcomed these very people. We see that the very people that made up this circle around Jesus were those who were disgraced, who were poor, those who rejected, the demon-possessed, those who had been cast aside. But they also ultimately would reject Jesus because he himself would become 
a bearer of stigma. You see, he would be executed on a Roman cross, which meant he would bore, he ultimately bore the stigma of crucifixion. And Paul writes of the crucifixion that it was a stumbling block to the Jews. Why was the crucifixion of Jesus, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, a stumbling block to the Jews? Well, because they knew from their law that a person who was nailed to a tree was cursed by God. So it was impossible that the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, could be the one who would be crucified. Not only was this stigma a stumbling block for the Jews, but it was foolishness to the Greeks and the Romans. Why was it foolishness? Because in the Greco-Roman society, the powerful were those who conquered, right? Those who won, those who were victorious. And so the idea that God become man could possibly be this, this gnarled, mangled, suffocating form of a human nailed to a cross was foolishness. It was a stigma. It was something to be rejected. And yet, ironically, it was in this bearing of stigma, this foolishness to the Jews, this stumbling block to the Greeks, that the true glory of God would be revealed. Verse 28, Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. This is a quotation of the Hebrew that we find in Isaiah 43.10. When Jesus says, I am he, now we're going to see next week that Jesus will say outright, I am, in a way. Now, why in a way that will cause these Pharisees to pick up stones and want to kill him. Why will that be so shocking that he would say, I am? Whose name is that? Right? The name of God. And so that would be the blasphemy that would lead them to try to kill him. But before we see in this statement, a quotation of Isaiah 40 through 10, you are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration. And my servant, whom I have chosen that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. The word, ego and me, is exactly the word that is used here in John chapter eight. This revelation of the glory of God will come when? When he is lifted up. Specifically when he is placed on a cross. Why is that? Why is it that the glory of God, the creator of the universe, would be revealed specifically at the moment of his stigma, of his disgrace, of his bearing a curse? Well, it should not be a surprise to these Pharisees who know the scriptures because the statement that Jesus made, I am the light of the world, comes from Isaiah 49, 6. We read, it is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones 
of Israel. So not simply restoring the Jewish people, not simply restoring Israel and being a light to Israel, but I will also make you a light for the nations, for all the world, to be my salvation to the ends of the earth, the light to all people. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One says, to one, hear this, Who is the one who is going to be this light, not simply to Israel, but this bright shining light, revealing the glory of God, revealing the light of life to all people, to the world? He'll be one who is despised, to one abhorred by people, to a servant of rulers. This is the one, the one who is despised, who is rejected, who is hated, who is seen as cursed, who is seen as bearing a stigma which must be rejected. And yet in time, kings will see and princes will stand up and they will all bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. I wanna invite our band to come up. And I want us to consider what this means because Jesus says, I am the light of the world and all who follow me will no longer walk in darkness. And what I want us to see is that the way of life, the way that Jesus illuminates as moving out of this condition of brokenness, of being dead in sin, of being separated from God, to being raised up and having eternal life, of having the light of life, of of knowing God, comes through the way of the cross. It comes through following Jesus in this journey of rejection, ultimately of bearing a stigma, of dying. Because that is necessary in order for resurrection and life to come. And you see, the problem for some of us this morning is we've not actually followed that path. We've not actually followed the way that the light of the world leads down as the path to life. What Jesus described in Luke 9, 23, when he said, if anyone wants to follow After me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, bear his stigma, die to himself daily and follow me. Dying to ourselves, acknowledging what the Pharisees could not acknowledge which is our complete dependence on God. I can't. (laughs) What is it in your life right now, if you're honest, that you haven't surrendered to God? Where in your life are you depending on yourself? Where are you depending on your own abilities? your own words, your own resources. You 
that is the area, whatever that is, that you actually need to die to yourself, to admit what you cannot do. I can't fix anyone. (laughs) I can't solve all of my own problems. I can't keep my family entirely safe and secure. I can't even ensure that I'm going to make it through this day. I can't. (laughs) I'm not God. And I have to admit that. How often? Every day. But then we remember that we are dependent on God. That he can do what we cannot. And we read that Jesus, the one who sent me, is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. And so the first prayer is acknowledging to God, I can't, whatever it is, I can't fix this. I can't get myself out of this. I can't. But separately, secondly, but you can. Not my will, but yours be done. And this is a complete surrender of outcomes. Do we see this? Jesus on The night before the cross, he says, if there's any other way than me dying and bearing this curse and this stigma and all that's associated with the misery of being crucified, if there's any other way, nevertheless, what? Not my will, but yours be done. Every day I have to say this. I cannot control outcomes of situations. Can I ensure that I will not end up on a cross? I can't, but I surrender to the will of God ultimately. And this is what brings freedom. Our mission statement, reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. When we are depending on ourselves, we're worried, we're anxious. And often there's this recognition. We're trying to cover up what we cannot do. And so what do we do? Well, often this is where addictions come from, right? We sang over addiction. Where often it's, I, I know that in my own ability, but, but I can use this thing to prop myself up, right? I can drink this thing or I can take this thing or I can use this person or whatever it is. And, and I'm just trying to cover up my inability, my inadequacy. Does it work? Does it work? No, it doesn't. It doesn't actually work, Right? And so I have to get to the place where I surrender that I can't, I die to myself. I can't change this. I can't do this. And then I surrender, but God, you can. And I surrender it entirely to you. I surrender the outcomes. I surrender my life. This is what baptism is, by the way. Baptism is showing your surrender, is acknowledging I can't earn my forgiveness. I can't earn salvation. Right? There's, uh, again, like the psalm, there's nothing good in me. I, I can try to do all of these things, but I can never cover up for all the things I've done wrong. And so I throw myself into the waters of his cleansing and his salvation and his righteousness. Right? Nothing to the cross I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. I'm completely dependent on God. And so that's where I believe we, we need to be, that we are those who live with this surrender. And so we're gonna respond in song. I'm in the prayer, I'll be in the prayer room. Uh, Tony Jones will be in the prayer room. And if there's something that 
that you need prayer for, we would love to pray with you. If you need to take the step of actually, truly, for the first time, surrendering your life to Christ, right? Completely trusting in him, completely resting in him. We'd love to talk with you about that. Maybe there's something, again, it's burdening you. It's worrying you. It's something that you're just being overwhelmed by because you're trusting in yourself. And whatever that is, I would invite you just to surrender that to God, right? In this time to trust in him completely. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us hopeless and helpless, that while we are below, we are those who on our own are dead in trespasses and our sins. We can't rescue ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. We can't rescue the people around us. We can't fix the people around us. We can't solve all of our own problems. That you came and you did for us what we could not do. That you lived the perfect life of righteousness and holiness that we failed to live for us. That you died the death to take all of the burden of our sin, to take our punishment, to take our shame, to bear our scorn. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be cleansed. So that we could be reconciled with God. And so, Lord, if there's someone here who's never trusted in you completely, would they do that? Would your spirit invite them to that this is the light of life, that you're inviting them to the way of freedom and life, not of trusting in themselves or anything else, but trusting completely in Jesus and him alone. But, Lord, for those of us maybe who have done that, but once again, we've we've pulled back whatever we've surrendered. We've begun to believe that we are God, that we're in control. And so we have anxiety and worry and discouragement because we think we can fix things or we, can, we think we can accomplish certain outcomes. Lord, wherever that is, would we surrender that to you? Would we die to ourselves today? Acknowledging what we cannot do and then trusting completely in what you can. And we see that ultimately in the name of Jesus, Yeshua, God saves, that you provide salvation that you do what we cannot do. And so even as we sing this song, would it it speak the truth to our hearts? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.